0: You are listening to the Sobertown Podcast. I'm your guest host, Elaine Schuyler-Neal, and today I'm super excited to be talking with Ted Perkins. Ted is a former Hollywood film executive, producer, screenwriter, and now author of Addicted in Film, Movies We Love About the Habits We Hate. Hi, Ted. Thanks for being here and welcome to Sobertown.
1: Thank you. Hi, Sobertown. Hi, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to speak with your audience, Paige. So, and well done with everything that y'all are doing.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. So I really loved when this opportunity fell into my lap because I feel like I've literally read all of the recovery stuff out there. I mean, I know (laughs) I haven't, but it feels like that sometimes, especially when you get armed with your big pile of quitlet and you're just going through it all. Some of it kind of starts to get a little bit repetitive, even if it's excellently executed. So I was really curious about where you were going to go with this concept. And just to give our listeners a little bit of background. So you watched 100 films about addiction and recovery in 100 days and ultimately chose 27 of them to write about as part of your own recovery journey from drinking. Am I saying this properly?
1: Absolutely. Well, it's funny you say Quitlet because I had read every Quitlet book as well. And I got a little bit sort of like, all right, where do I go now? And I thought, well, I can go deeper into more professional literature and peer-reviewed papers and everything. But I thought, well, that's kind of boring. And then I realized that I, I really loved films. And I realized that there were some really great films uh, about addiction recovery that, that I thought really could have an impact. So I actually just started watching movies with my iTunes account and actually probably watched more than 100 movies. But I chose uh, like 27, 28 movies that I thought were really and I don't just emblematic, but but very important in terms of what they had to say about, you know, addiction, the causes of addiction, recovery, successful recovery, not so successful recovery, and um, and sort of flesh out more of these sort of the dramatic and story elements of what a, the addiction and recovery story is from a heroic storytelling perspective as it's reflected in films. And then as I did more research about the films and I'd been involved in the film industry, I, I remembered how difficult a lot of those films were to get made. And mm-hmm. how challenging they were to market, and how there was some really interesting backstory to that, and how my career in Hollywood, when I worked at Universal and Warner Brothers, I had tangentially touched upon several of these different movies um, and these projects along the way, and so I thought there was a very inter- inter- interesting confluence of, of, of situations and a fun topic to write about um, about how movies can help people addiction and recovery, and say something important about you know addiction as a as a pathology,
0: I really loved it. And you know, it was a lot more historical, philosophical, and even political than I thought it was going to be. And it's great, too, that you voiced your own book because now that I've listened to it all, I kind of feel like I know your full voice. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear you in person after listening to your book, by the way. Oh, thank I, you. So, I mean, it's clear then that you wanted to write a book that wasn't kind of like this cursory top level look at addiction. And it sounds like that was really intentional uh, from the from the get go. I mean, how do you kind of how did you kind of break that down when you're kind of tackling this massive topic of addiction?
1: Um, Well, it's a lovely question, and I don't I don't really have an answer, but I'm wondering as people or I guess there's a lot of people like this that you sort of like find where you're going once you start the journey. And I didn't really have a firm view as to what I was going to write about or what was interesting. I just knew that I wanted to write about certain movies and tell people why I thought they were important and how they could be helpful. And so after I wrote one or two chapters, I kind of found my voice and I realized that by talking about certain movies, I could talk about the historical context around when the movie was made and where society was at that point in its overall conversation about addiction and recovery. I also realized it had a lot to say about you know, the history of how people view mental illness generally and how stigma developed and how, you know, a little innocent movie that we all laughed at like Reefer Madness really was, I could talk about how terrible the movie was, but really what I preferred talking about was how terrible it was that it was like, sort of like the first piece of blatant propaganda and this, you know, dreadful war on drugs and the stigmatization of an entire race. And, and and all of the harmful negative impact that it had on public perception of addiction and addicts in general, you know, the dope death, the dope feed, the junkie, you know, the horrible terms like, you know, crackhead, all that stuff, you know, started with movies and propaganda. and And I wanted to show how films were part of that political discourse early on. And then as I started exploring more and doing more films, I realized that you know, they had deeper things to say about where where society's view of addiction is now, how treatment approaches are, are changing over time, how there's like a very interesting sort of dynamic of, you know, SAMHSA and, and, and national organizations uh, taking a second look at harm reduction or a more serious look at harm reduction, and, and maybe even seeing that maybe abs, total abstinence is, is not something that necessarily works in every circumstance. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a very dynamic landscape. And since I work in, in the recovery space, I, I do uh, videos about addiction recovery. I'm in recovery, done a lot of work for smart recovery. I run my own smart recovery, mutual support meetings. I'm a sober mentor for a lot of people. And I read a lot about the space and I have a lot of really very deep relationships with, with opinion leaders and therapists at a very high level. that I wanted to sort of take what they're saying and put it in the form of an entertainment read that would be accessible to more people who could, like, yes, you're there to learn about the movies, enjoy the movies, but I, I wanted to say a little bit more about where we are and where we've been.
0: The films themselves feel like vehicles for explaining all of this, you know, interweaving the, this landscape that you talk about, this dynamic landscape. And that's what I got the most out of it was really like, Um, Being able to step back and look at this multifaceted, complex, nuancy view of how all these things interplay. And I just love the idea of doing that through films because films are so relatable as well. So it's almost like you're being educated historically through these pop cultural references without you even realizing it. And by the way, since you mentioned Reefer Madness, I love that deep dive. I had no idea the origins of that French film from 1936 and how it ultimately morphed into this cult classic and then ended up influencing the actual legalization of marijuana. I just found all that stuff so fascinating. And did you find that you had to do a lot of historical research for this or was this all information that you already kind of knew?
1: Well, a lot of it was stuff that I'd already known, but you know, like you, the, the quit lit, like, you know, of course I've read Johann Hari's book. And of course I've read, you know, you know, chasing the scream and all of, all of those kinds of films that upon a lot of that information. And I had it already in my brain and then did a bit, a little bit of research about Reaper Madness because I, I had no idea that they'd made it into a musical. And then I learned some more about the, uh, the gentleman who bought the, uh, who bought the rights to the film and then turned it into an anti-marijuana law movie, which was very, like, fascinating because it's like the law of unintended consequences. That's the last thing that producers would have wanted for that film. And then, and then the irony of having, you know, Robert Shea, who actually I know, and I actually asked him once about the movie, and he laughed. He thinks it's hilarious that Robert Shea was the, was the head, the person who started New Line Cinema who's responsible for, you know, some of the biggest movies of all time, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, et cetera. You know, he started his company based on midnight showings of the movie based on the premise that it was such a piece of crap that that stoned audiences would like smoke pot like I did and watch (laughs) a midnight movie and laugh their asses off like I did. So, you know, at the time I thought it was very funny, but then as I dove deeper, I realized, I was laughing for the wrong reasons. And <laughs> I knew then what I know now, I'm, I don't know if I'd be laughing. So I thought it was very, uh, very interesting how the love the of unintended consequences. And, yeah. and another thing I bring up a lot, I think you probably saw is that I'm a big fan of what uh, uh, Mark Twain once said, and it's variably attributed to different people. And Steve Allen apparently said it, Mel Brooks apparently said it, but you know, tragedy equals comedy plus time or comedy equals tragedy plus time. Uh, no, it's, it's comedy equals tragedy plus time. So eventually we do end up laughing about certain things. But in reverse, a lot of times things were eventually thought we were, were funny ended up over time to be not so funny. And in a sense, it's some allegory and a metaphor for what addiction is. It's like, yeah, drinking and partying was all really fun at the beginning <laughs> until it wasn't. <laughs> so. You know, you start with like comedy, then you add time and suddenly you end up where a lot of people in recovery are, which is a tragedy.
0: So I want to go back to something that you mentioned early on in this chat. And that you also talk about early on in your book about how challenging these addiction and recovery films are to get made. Do you feel like that that's changing or will change in the future?
1: I do. Uh, there's a big change in the industry, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with like Netflix, international production, a lot of these things like the internationalization and local films make a big deal in the streaming platforms of Netflix, et cetera. It's very important because it gives a room for other types of stories that aren't big blockbusters. And I think, you know, movies like Bend Is Back and Beautiful Boy, and while they weren't huge blockbusters, Hollywood does eventually take stock of the fact that art sometimes has to imitate life. And, you know, The news of overdose deaths, fentanyl, is such a big story that it's unavoidable in many contexts. So, Hollywood is, I think, more open to reflecting reality, but also cognizant of the fact that it's kind of a bummer and it's not always a happy story. and And those kinds of stories are difficult to tell. And also, I think Hollywood is reticent because once you when you make a movie about a thorny subject like this, you always open up yourself to criticism from some faction that's going to say that you either didn't portray it accurately or who the hell are you to talk to us about addiction when you're Hollywood. So, you know, it's very difficult. So uh, that's the point I try to make in the book is that the people who made these movies took huge risks to their reputation because, you know, the, uh, the audience could have said like, what a complete bastardization of a story or what a topical solution to a huger problem or like how superficial do you have to be to, to do this melodramatic movie about a serious topic? I mean, movies like Four Good Days, which I talk about in the book. You know, a lot of the critics said, "Oh, you know, it's just bland melodrama," but of course, that's exactly what you would expect to hear from somebody, a critic, who doesn't have a son or daughter who's in rehab or who's had to prostitute themselves in the back of a truck station for heroin, or gone through that trauma. For the rest of us who understand that topic very well, the movie is actually a tour de force, mm. and uh, and that's why I wanted to bring those kinds of movies to attention because a lot of times. You have people who think they're, you know, they're judging movies on the basis of their own criteria in terms of like what they consider to be relevant or not. And what the audience considers to be relevant is not necessarily what the addiction recovery universe considers to be relevant or helpful. Right. So that is the disconnect that I think is changing because now with more streaming platforms, Amazon and and more buyers in the marketplace willing to take riskier bets on things, I think we're going to see more movies that really touch upon this this issue in a very meaningful way. I mean, we had a little bit of a sidetrack with uh, with a million little pieces when it was, you know, they made a movie about that, but they shelved the movie because they realized that the memoir was actually more fabrication than that actual fact. So that was a little bit of a step backwards. But but still, the intention was there. So that's important.
0: So similar kind of question related to film. So there's this chapter in your book about Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges and a star is born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, where you talk about the yes. real world pressures that country music stars are under to emulate certain alcohol-fueled behavior in order to achieve a success. And then those stats that you shared of best country music <laughs> songs were mind-blowing. Go yep. on to say they don't just have to drink a lot of alcohol, they have to sing, sing about it too, referencing a study that found that over 40% of country songs mention alcohol in their lyrics. And the country music has the second highest level of mentions of alcohol after hip hop. To weave this back in the film, it's kind of a tangential question back in the film. You know, as a former film executive and producer, do you think there's similar industry led pressure to weave alcohol into films and shows as in, in these other industries such as music?
1: Yes. And um, sometimes it's unfortunate, other times it's just a reflection of reality. But I'll give you certain examples. And, and, you know, I don't have the answer. Yes. The thing about Hollywood and entertainment is that ultimately the audience decides what is relevant, what's useful. But there are some elements of like things that are not necessarily helpful from certain perspectives. Like there's a show on Showtime, which is about an alcoholic father with a dysfunctional family. Shameless. is, the, is Oh, the, right. The, yes. The name of the series. So that is funny. It's played for a laugh. But I mean, at the end of the day, the pitch is alcoholic father totally dysfunctional and hilarity ensues isn't that funny and so yes the way that they execute the show is funny but the premise itself is troubling from the point of view of like well are you trying to sell us on the notion that like alcoholism in a family is actually funny or can actually cause something positive i mean the answer is definitely no and then you've got a show like nurse jackie where you've got a nurse in a position of responsibility who Her big character trait is that she's an addict. So is that a good message to be sending to people? I mean, is that an accurate reflection? But, or conversely, by showing her as a fully dimensional human being who's gotten herself into a problem shared by many and to see how she extricates herself from that problem and then recovers and then turns into a better person is the value of that character arc does that override the negative impact of her starting out as an addict and the glorification addiction to begin with? And the answer might be yes. There's another show that I can't remember with, um, with that female comedian. It was just on Saturday Night Live. Amy Schumer. Yes. Where the, where the ad for, and I don't know what the title is, but the ad for the thing is her staring at a glass of wine. Yes. And like her alcohol use or abuse is the central premise of the show. Yes. And yes, she goes to this small town and she does wonderful things and she finds herself. But the premise is you're selling a woman's relationship to alcohol. Mm-hmm. A movie that's coming out uh, next with Sigourney Weaver. And I can't remember the title of it because I'm not I'm driving right now. But yeah, but again, you know, the idea of somebody and alcohol being quirky, funny and amusing is somewhat troubling. But it depends on where you take the story. And then in the book, I sort of that's why I talk about two dimensions of that tale. One is how you take somebody who's completely at the bottom of their career, caused by alcohol, and has to do something to redeem themselves, and they do. And then you got stars born where somebody is at the top of their career, has no reason really to drink, but drinks because they're at the top of their career. And whatever that means, people at the top of their career have issues too. You know, uh, maybe they think they're a fraud. Maybe they think they don't deserve it. Maybe they just can't deal with the stardom. Or maybe stardom is just, you know, an incidental factor in what's an overall trauma that has nothing to do with them being famous or being an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which shows that, you know, addiction really doesn't discriminate by job description either. You know, obviously at the very end of Star is Born, you know, unfortunately, the, the character Bradley Cooper, you know, commits suicide, which is very sad, but also teaches us something about you know, the nature of addiction as well. There's not always going to be happy endings in these movies. And that's what's great about the movies that sometimes you don't have to show a happy ending. Showing an unhappy ending, like Leaving Las Vegas, for instance, I, I talk about, is actually more important than having a happy ending in certain respects.
0: That's what I love as well, that it's um, not just that Hollywood ending. But you do talk about that. You do talk about um the challenges there of not having that Hollywood ending for some of these and even some of the, how these stories were changed from the book version to the yes, film yes, versions, yes. And I thought it was really fascinating.
1: Yeah. I didn't know that. The Crazy Heart originally ended with the uh, that Blake Hampshire. Which is <laughs> very sad because like he finally got his shit together and, you know, he could have you know, and but I like the I like the Hollywood ending because uh it's while it is improbable, it is possible. And that's, you know, a lot of time addiction seems like such a hopeless thing with the statistics And 90% of people are going to relapse. It's just, it seems like just this insurmountable problems. So sometimes seeing somebody succeed against all odds, it just gives you some hope. And sometimes hope is all you need to make it to the next step
0: I for the that. next
1: journey in your recovery.
0: Absolutely. So I want to ask you about triggers. So for a couple of these films, you kind of give a bit of a disclaimer about potential triggers at the beginning, such as the uh, Danish film, Another uh, yes. Round, starring Mads Milk. Yes. Nicholson, which admittedly I have wanted to watch since it came up, but I'm honestly worried about being triggered. So what do you say to those in recovery who want to read this book or even watch just films about recovery and addiction who are indeed truly worried about being triggered by the content, by the subject matter?
1: Well, you know, I've had many, many arguments with people about this, and I've considered this thought deeply. And some of my own work in the recovery space has been censored or changed because of this issue. And I don't have a a pat answer. I don't know what the answer is, but I think one thing to consider is that with in people who are in recovery, if you show them images of people at a bar drinking champagne in a consequence free environment gratuitously, that is definitely kind of like, it's not just, it could be triggering, but it's kind of in bad taste. Like you wouldn't, you you wouldn't show you know, a movie featuring cocktail parties um, at a rehab facility any right. more than you would have like a, an addiction treatment meeting at a pharmacy, for instance. Right. Or, or would, you, would you host a, a 12-step uh, meeting, you know, near a bar? Although a lot of times the churches are right next to a bar and that's the <laughs> ongoing joke. Another issue is that some people say that looking at alcohol and drugs in a neutral way, only enforces their, their resolve because it shows them that they can fight urges and to encounter urges like that is actually useful because by saying no and saying, oh, that's just an urge, identifying it and then moving on from it or dealing with it or not doing anything about it is actually, uh, therapeutic. Um, and there's a lot of people who come to my meetings and who report that they sometimes go to 7-eleven. They look at the liquor in the liquor cabinet. They say, "Nope, not anymore. Nope. Not happening. And that's sort of like their daily little thing to do to remind them that they don't want to drink anymore. Right. Other people might see that as like, oh my God, I'm in a 7-Eleven and I see alcohol. But the issue is there's alcohol everywhere. I mean, there's, there's triggers 24-7 everywhere I drive and I'm driving around right now. Everywhere I drive is a place where I once bought liquor. I'm in right. a place right now. My daughter's giving uh, a muffin. I used to buy liquor here. There's no question. Of, so... I miss that. Um, that this will cause problems, or watching movies will cause problems, um, is not necessarily true, but something to, to to account. But I say that in the disclaimer of the movie. Um, uh, another round, but I say it in a context which I think is is quite funny, and I I wanted to make it funny. Yeah. In that, you know, here is a movie that is celebrating what alcohol means to us socially. Yeah. The best parts of it. So to have these kids who have just graduated and they're doing this race and they're drinking beer and they're in love and they're going to go to college and they're going to pay their taxes like good social Democrats do. And they're going to be great Danish citizens and they're going to have free health care and they're just living a beautiful life. And part of that life, like it is everywhere, is a responsible use of alcohol right? and to joyously, you know, the festive season, everything. Revolves, we all know that our cultures, all cultures, most cultures, except for like Muslim culture, Um, and certain other cultures revolves around festivities and those festivities include a lot of alcohol. And it's natural and it's accepted, except when it leads to trouble. So by starting the film where you show it in such a natural context, I think um, the director uh, was trying to show us that this is what life is right now and what it can be from a perspective. But now we're going to examine where it can go wrong. And that's why the film is important, is You have to show people indulging in alcohol or drugs to examine how badly or how okay it can go for certain people based on their particular circumstances. So that's why the movie is important. If you haven't seen the movie Another Round, one of the important things about it is it examines, you know, what can actually happen at different stages of somebody's drinking relationship to alcohol. It's a great film. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed writing that chapter, actually.
0: I was curious. Since you mentioned a couple of triggers you have while watching these films, such as train spotting, kind of making you wanted to try, it with, but, but, yes, did you, it did. Did you yourself have to kind of psych yourself up to watch these, or do you feel like you maybe watch these films differently, maybe less emotionally, more objectively, because of your background in film?
1: Um, I viewed them from the point of view of somebody who committed to sobriety and committed yeah. to recovery, and knew that I would succeed, and knew that I had to succeed for all the reasons that I mentioned in the book. And given that, I realized that I was seeing them from the point of view of every one of these films has something important to say to me. And there is nothing in any one of these movies that I'm going to use as any kind of justification to go back to a set of behaviors, which I have completely disavowed and will never return to.
0: End of story.
1: So when you see things from a a level of intentionality like that, it frees you up to write about how it can be useful to see this movie, as opposed to the premise, which we just examined, that Somehow seeing movies about addiction and people enjoying themselves is another tired rationale for going back to using, which we all know we don't need additional rationales to go back to bad behaviors. We're experts at coming up with uh, rationalizations. We don't need another one. And watching another movie is certainly not going to be another reason to to relapse. You have plenty of those. In fact, if you turn it around and, and use these movies as a reason not to relapse, that's a much better productive use of of movies. And that's the point that I try to make in the book. And that's why I wrote the book. Movies can help you. They're not, I didn't write the movie that, I didn't write the book to trigger people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that all makes sense. No, that was something I was going to um, ask you about, kind of the moral of and, and functions of this, but that answers that perfectly. So I really loved the diversity of films that you chose, um, not just more modern Oscar winners like A Star is Born, but also going back to the 1945 film The Lost Weekend. How did you narrow these down?
1: Good question. I didn't want to like avoid certain movies that people would say, why didn't you include that movie? Right. Um, so I started from the point of view of like, you know, if I was having a 12-step meeting or smart recovery meeting. And I started throwing out movie titles of movies that I thought were interesting about addiction recovery. You know, what would people say? Like, oh yeah, I've seen that movie. And then I was listening to other people who said, yeah, you also have to see this movie. And I sort of did like a little bit of a content analysis statistically. I sort of arrived at those movies that, that I see are like broadly appealing enough, important enough, and widely viewed enough. In um, the addiction recovery universe, and I went to like every possible list from every rehab facility of like you know their top ten mm-hmm. movies about rehab or their top ten movies about addiction recovery, and I saw certain patterns. And you know, Train Spotting definitely up there. Uh, leaving Las Vegas definitely up there. And uh, last weekend, well, not mentioned a lot, um, I felt was probably the first most important movie made about alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And there was an incredible story about you know when it was made, how it was made the awards that it won and where we were as a society when it was made so i thought that had to be um and that's why i started the book with that film and as time went on i found other films that i thought you know were very very interesting about that and a lot of them are very well known i mean i don't think there's i'd say nine out of ten people recognize i'd say 60 percent of the movies in that list oh um and if they and if they don't then or maybe 50 or something but but if they don't then that's what's fun about the book i've i've had some complaints actually that People say I I should have gotten this in audiobook because I get the book and then I want to see the movie so I leave the book I go see the movie and then I have to come back to the book and that's the book all over again. <laughs> it's like well that's a really great problem to have. I'm really excited by the fact that, that uh, I'm causing people trouble because they want to go see the movies because they're actually using the book for the purpose that I really intended it to be used, which was to reflect and watch the movies. And I should be getting a kickback from Paramount I don't Studios. Know. Right? I mean. I mean-
0: You you should know all the people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, (laughs) if I if I scale up to like millions of people seeing those movies, I'll try to get a deal where I get the movies at wholesale and give them to people for free.
0: (laughs) Are there questions that I haven't asked? in this chat that we've had that you think are important for potential buyers of this book or potential, you know, uh, people who might be interested in the subject matter to
1: know? Oh, no, I think you asked wonderful questions. Um, but I think, uh, the thing I want to leave people with, and it's sort of, you know, sort of like an answer to many of your questions instead. And something I say at the, at the beginning of the book is that, you know, recovery from addiction is, is really difficult. And the, Addiction is very difficult. And a lot of people like I, uh, when I was in the throes of addiction, felt quite hopeless. And, uh, you know, I thought I was broken and this will never, I'll never be able to fix this. And after relapsing many times, I I thought, Jesus, maybe this is who I am. Maybe the disease model is true, maybe. And I realized that, you know, mentally speaking, people like I did, can really psych themselves out and make a troublesome circumstance even worse um, to the point where you get into a hole that you can't dig yourself out of without great pain or catastrophe or, or hurting others. And I wanted people to know that I've been there and I know that a lot of people are still there. And I found a combination of things really worked, which like smart recovery meetings, seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist from time to time, family support, engaging with people, writing this book, doing things, you know, engaging, et cetera, and watching movies. And so it became part of an overall strategy to get better. And I think a lot of people think that there's only one strategy to get better, which is I got to go to rehab. I got to bite the bullet. I got to spend 50 grand at Malibu residential treatment rehab. When I get out, I'll be completely cured. I'll never have any sort of urges again. It'll be a Beautiful brand new day, and I'll be a brand new person, and I'll never have this problem again. And the rest of my life is going to be rosy perfect. And that is an expectation which is created by both the recovery industry, but also by people's expectations that there's always going to be fast cures and quick solutions for all of life's problems when we know that that's not the case. And so, the point I was trying to make is that movies and watching movies can be an entertaining and didactic way of looking at these issues seeing other people who've gone through these issues and come out the other end successfully, and but also realizing that it's not a quick fix, that, you know, life goes on. Tomorrow's another challenge. There's another urge waiting for you right around the corner when you lose a job or something happens or you have a death in the family or for whatever reason, you go to a cocktail party and you had no intention of ever picking up a cocktail. And for some reason, you just do because you do and you can't even explain why you did. So, you know, life continues to happen to people, to all of us, to me, to you. And so, you know, I think being in touch with uh, different ways of recovering and, can, and keeping that recovery ongoing is, I think is important. That's why it's sort of like my little, like little, my little contribution to the conversation is that, you know, sometimes films can help you. And, and if you think about them and you watch them all the time anyway, you know, look for little bits and pieces in every story that you see. And see how you can use it to inspire your own recovery or inspire others in their recovery if you're helping other people recover as well.
0: Wow, Ted, that is a great way to to wrap up this chat. I love those insights. It's very hopeful. Um, And thank you so much for talking to us today. I just really love the thoughtfulness of the book, but it's also just a fun and punchy read. So Anyone who is interested in picking up a copy, it's obviously available on Amazon and print things on Amazon. You can also visit your website at addictedinfilm.com.
1: Yes, thank you. And um, if I can relentlessly promote something else, which is, which is really taking off, and I think it's really fun. I started the, uh, the Addicted in Film Movie Club, um, and oh. we're up to like 200, 200 people. It's just crazy. But basically, it's sort of like a, just a, a great group of people. There's like a monthly e-newsletter. I make videos. I put on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where we break down movies. And the first episode of, we have a, a TV show called uh, Recovery on Screen, where I, where me and a Scottish friend of mine who's in recovery break down Train Spotting and what it meant to us. And he's Scottish. He's like, you know, he's in the middle of that. He knows all about that movie. So it's a really fun, you know, little fun pieces of content that we share with our members and you know unpublished chapters from the book and also we're going to start watch parties where on amazon prime where we're going to watch like reefer madness and and you can join in real time and comment uh almost like it was a live stream and then we're going to have webinars right afterward where we talk about the movies and just chat it out and make it like a make it like a 12 step meeting but talking about the movies that we all just saw
0: oh that is awesome uh, i love that idea And I think that's just like pops right up for people to join when they hop on your website.
1: Yeah, it's it's hilarious. And I'm very happy that um, also the treatment community seems to see promise in this. There's a recovery center called Above and Beyond in Chicago, which does amazing work for that, a very difficult part of town for that community. And they're going to host afternoon movie watch parties in their therapy protocols and using the book. To guide the conversations um, and do that every week, and and we're also uh, try. I'm also trying to get the book into several treatment facilities who see the value of this as a therapeutic uh, module that can be part of uh, a facility's continuum of care. So I had very modest ambitions for this book, but to see now that this can actually be used in a therapeutic environment, but also as a piece of entertainment in the general book market is just thrilling. So thank you to everybody for your support of the book and. And I hope my snarky sense of humor doesn't put some of you off. But I I wanted to get a couple of laughs, too, because like (laughs) I said, tragedy plus time equals comedy. So, you know, I was tragic. Some time went through and now I'm laughing at my own recovery. So there it is.
0: that's a good place to be, I think. And so will you make yourself available as well to people who are interested in consulting with you or collaborating with you for maybe recovery talks and recovery centers, I wonder.
1: Yes, absolutely. I have a background in public speaking and I love public speaking and I love engaging with people and I'm open to everything. In fact, I'm going to be going to Chicago to do a training on these first meetings. And then if it does roll out and it becomes a bigger thing, then I would love to go and maybe make a presentation at the National Association of American Treatment Professionals and some of these other conventions that are all centered around uh, treatment and to sort of spread the word and evangelize the whole idea should be exciting. And send me an email. I'm at Ted at addictedinfilm.com. Tell me where your treatment facility is. Tell me you want to see me. I'll be there. I have no problem.
0: That's such a uh, great uh, I'm, I'm, uh, offer to extend out to people as well because I mean, well, also that addiction or that conference you mentioned, I would be the most lively speaker of the bunch. I think people should take you up on that.
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean there's certainly they're kind of like a very dour bunch of people. I think they could use a little bit of humor. I think we all could use a little bit of humor. And that's that's why I hope the book uh, works on that level too. Some of my stories are kind of crazy. They all happen too. I mean, some of you might not think that some of those stories happen, they're all 100% true. But from what I remember, because a lot of my career, <laughs> I was actually drinking quite a bit. So I might've remembered certain details incorrectly, but the general gist of it is just like, I've had a very funny, quirky, somewhat charmed life that, um, that went in the wrong direction, but now it's going in the, in the right direction.
0: I love it. Thank you so much again, Ted Perkins, Addicted in Film. Thank you so much.
1: Elaine, thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you and I really appreciate your audience's support.